Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. I love what, I, what I've termed emotional resonance. I love that sense of resonating with other people. Like when I write a blog post that, um, that uh, uh, I mean, I, I can almost like feel it hitting with other people because it, it seems to be written from what I call the sweet spot Mm-hmm. Um, inside myself. And, and the sweet spot is kind of like this place where who I am kind of merges into uh, who my audience is. So I'm writing for both myself and, and other people. And that seems to be where I do my best work and I do my most relevant work. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. 
If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time. And now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Justine, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Oh, thank you, Srini. It's always um, it's always great to be talking with you. Yeah, my pleasure. So it, it is so cool to have you back here. You know, we had you on the show back when we were called Blogcast FM. You were a speaker at uh, last year's Instigator Experience, and I've always been a very, very huge fan of work. Your work. I mean, you wrote the forward to my book, which I jokingly say is a tough act to follow. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know what prompted me to reach out to you this time uh, was a thread that you replied to on Quora uh, <laughs> about extreme success. Uh, you know about people like uh, Elon, people like Bill Gates, people like Steve Jobs. Right. But before we get into all of that, um, you know, for the people who are listening who may not be familiar with you and, and who you are and your story, can you tell us a, a bit about your story, your journey, your background, and how that actually led? Uh, to sort of this unusual view into extreme success that you have. Oh, okay. Well, I was uh, I was actually born in a small town in uh, Canada called Peterborough, Ontario, and I uh, grew up there. And I came to writing fiction very young, and I ended up uh, uh, going to Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario, where I met this individual named Elon Musk, and uh, he was um, extremely unusual man, I mean, that was apparent right from the beginning, um, extremely determined, uh, extremely brilliant. And, um, and he, he had big plans right, right from the beginning. So um, we um, butted heads pretty much from the beginning uh, and then ended up getting um, married and having kids. And uh, he went on to create a couple of companies, um, one of which was PayPal. Mm-hmm. And then uh, he went on and he did uh, SpaceX and Tesla. 
And I um, wrote some, some novels that were published, uh, dark fantasy thrillers called, uh, one was called Blight Angel. Uh, there was a sequel to that called um, Lord of Bones. And then there was a, a young adult supernatural thriller called Uninvited. And they were published by imprints at uh, Simon and & Schuster and um, Penguin. Mm-hmm. And um, then uh, things happened. Uh, we got divorced. And the divorce kind of blew up and became um, public. And I did some writing about that. And um, I kind of went through a... Uh, I don't really want to call it an identity crisis, but maybe an identity transition. I was trying to figure out this, this question of, of um, how to best live, like uh, what do I want to do with my life and who do I want to be? And I, um, the nature of my reading changed and I began reading obsessively, uh, partly to answer these questions. And that kind of led me into this online culture of, of um, you know, blogs and uh, online creative entrepreneurial activity and, and um, things like that. And I just started... Um, you know, getting really, really curious about what drives people to do what they do. And um, I started paying attention to um, certain patterns of personality I was seeing in the world around me. And one thing I eventually started noticing about a lot of the um, advice that is is, uh, presented in the self-help world is, um, it just seemed like certain things weren't really being said and, um, including, including, um, including the role that adversary, I mean, adversity, uh, often plays in the lives of, of these people who go on to do what they do. And, and by adversity, I don't necessarily mean that they were, um, you know, born into a war zone and they had to, um, uh, like, you know, climb out of, of third world poverty or, or anything like that. I mean, for the most part, these are individuals who are born into like a, affluent circumstances, but they're really driven in a way that um, I noticed early on. And I kind of wanted to explore that. And I wanted to kind of enter that into the conversation a little bit more than I was seeing. So all of this stuff was kind of going on in my mind. And then one day I sat at my computer and, um, I had, uh, I was checking out Quora because I had, um, stopped blogging for a while. I've been actively blogging for years and I hit a point where, um, I felt like I needed renewal of some kind and I really wanted to think about what I wanted to write going forward. So, um, I started investigating other social media sites and I came to Quora.com, which seemed interesting and fun. And um, I didn't have any kind of presence there. And I just felt that, you know, I could basically um, answer any of these questions or just, just explore new topics. And when, one day when I sat down, I came across this question. I don't even think it was on Quora.com. I think I saw it on Facebook somewhere. And it was about um, how do I become great? Like uh, Elon Musk, Richard Branson, Steve Jobs, Bill Gates. And it was written by a young computer student um, or a student in computer programming. And I thought, okay, well, I'll just sit down and I'll, I'll write a few lines um, in answer to this and, and try to get across that, um, that this is a, it's an extreme way to go about life, to, to come from this kind of perspective. And um, I kind of went into the zone and, and seriously like lost track of time and really uh, enjoyed answering this question. And then when I came out of this, I found that like about an hour at least had passed and I'd written this long answer. And I posted it and that kind of... Um, started the ball rolling. I mean, it, it got attention from the beginning. It didn't 
blow up until, um, you know, some weeks later after I'd, I'd answered a, a kind of a, a companion question to that. And then I just watched it. Um, it was like a, a snowball, snowball, you know, rolling down the mountain and getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I just kept waiting for it to die. And it didn't. And it, it's been fascinating to watch the reaction. Hmm. All right. So there's a, a lot of stuff here. Um, you know, I want to go uh, to the beginning of this and talk really about sort of that moment of identity crisis mm. and the questions that you wrestled with and, you know, what those questions were. Mm-hmm. Uh, is an identity crisis necessary to sort of transform <laughs> into who we're ultimately destined to become? And if so, how do we bring it about? I don't think we necessarily have to try to bring it about because I think life has a way of uh, bringing it about for us. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the thing about, uh, you know, crisis. Crisis has a way of uh, shattering all the structures that we've built for our lives. And, um, you know, complacency is forced to go out the window because suddenly you get to a point where nothing in your life is working. And so you kind of have to, um, you know, uh, clear away the debris and start over. And then when you're at that point, you can start asking yourself questions that you could not afford to ask yourself before. And, um, and then when you ask yourself different questions, that directs you to think in different ways, which can produce different answers. And, and then um, that can show you a side of yourself that you didn't even know was there. And then you can build something really, really interesting from that. Hmm. So what were the questions that you were wrestling with uh, you know, after the divorce? The questions I was, was wrestling with. Um, oh, that's a good question. I feel a little bit, uh, I think it was mostly about, um, how to live a meaningful life. I mean, I was in a unique position. Um, I have, uh, five kids and, um, but, uh, I was in, you know, very privileged circumstances. So I had, um, and then I also had 50, 50 custody. So I was looking at a life that was, you know, half with the kids and then half without the kids. And it was, um, a question of, of, uh, you know, how do I create something, um, and how do I build, um, the kind of life for my family that I want when I did not get the family that I necessarily expected, you know what I mean? In terms of, of the complete family unit. And, um, also too, the, the circumstances were extreme, you know, to, to use that word extreme again, because, you know, this, this is really not a normal life. Mm -hmm. So, um, it was, and then there was that question too, of, you know, coming out from, um, the shadow of that kind of marriage, um, with, with such a, uh, prominent individual, it was a, a good question to ask myself, um, you know, who am I really? And where do I really want to go in terms of, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm rambling here. No, not at all. Keep going. This is great. Well, it was, it was an interesting time. And it was, um, you know, and, and sometimes too, it, it's, I tend to operate by, um, feeling a lot. And so often I'll, I'll, uh, and then I eventually learned that my intuition operates in terms of, you know, hunches and feelings, not necessarily, uh, 
images and, and definitely not words. And so I was actually uh, driven to go online and I was driven to uh, uh, explore the online world. And, um, and I, I discovered like this incredible opportunity to, to communicate with people that, you know, had not existed even a, a few years before. And so here I am, I'm a, I'm a writer and I have access to this incredible technology and I can reach people. And so what do I want to say? And, and um, what kind of uh, message do I really want to um, spend my time um, getting across to people? Like what, what can I contribute that way? So it was a lot of um, deep diving into different topics and, and trying to find the things that connected with me that also connected to other people. And it's, um, you know, it's kind of like uh, that part in the hero's journey where the hero is like wandering through the wilderness and, and um, you know, finding berries here and finding clues there and, you know, gradually putting together enough information that will get you to the other side. Hmm. You know, it's interesting because, it, you know, I had a feeling you might bring up that idea of the shadow of, of you know, <clears throat> such a uh, prominent marriage. Uh, and I guess the question for me is in our own lives, when we're dealing with shadows of that mm-hmm. sort, uh, maybe not as big as yours, but they're absolutely there. How do you come out of the shadows and into your own? Does that make any sense at all? <laughs> um, yeah, it, it absolutely makes sense. I think it's, it's, it's probably a little bit different for, uh, uh, for men and women, um, you know, in a different but equal sense in that, like, as, as, uh, as girls and women, we are um, encouraged to define ourselves in relationship to other people, whereas, um, you know, men are, are uh, generally encouraged to define themselves in relationship to themselves. So, so it's not like I can say I went into this marriage as like a, a fully formed individual. Like it's not like I knew who I really was back then. Mm-hmm. So, um, so it was it. And then when you get swept up in uh, somebody else's world, the way I did, um, you know, not because the other person is like trying to subsume you, but it's just kind of how things happen. Then um, when, um, when that world, you know, um, goes on and you're no longer part of it, it's, it kind of throws you back on yourself in a lot of ways. So, um, I think it's just a question of, um, looking at what's right in front of you and paying a lot more attention to what's going on inside you, like learning to tune in to that intuitive voice. And I became, um, I've become a very strong believer in, um, the power of that inner voice. And I think, um, you know, all of us, both men and women, we are encouraged in many ways to disconnect from that voice. And so I think a key part of figuring out who you really are, especially when you are, um, coming back from a place that is, um, you know, where you were thrown off center. It's, it's just um, learning to recognize those, those hunches and those feelings and those yearnings and, um, you know, the things that you project onto other people that are actually um, your own unclaimed material and, and what they say about you. And so it's kind of like 
um, kind of like reading your life like it's a mystery novel and, and looking for the clues to uh, what you really want to do, which is a sign of who you really are. Mm-hmm. And it's just a, a patient, painstaking process of um, figuring it out. I mean, it, it really is a quest. And I think we can go about the quest unconsciously or we can go about the quest um, you know, with a lot of intention and a lot of purpose and a lot of desire. And um, that really makes a difference in um, whether you enjoy that process or not. And since we're kind of uh, uh, committed to it, whether or not we want to be, we might as well enjoy it. Wow. That was profound. <laughs> I didn't really know where I was going there, but I hope I made a point. Yeah, no, you definitely did. Um, let me ask you this. Okay. One of the things that you brought up uh, was that answering that thread on Quora was effectively a process of creative renewal. It was part of it, yeah. And I'm interested in how we start to find whatever it is in our own lives that will enable renewal. Ah. I think you have to start with what's already working. You know, I think we have a a natural built-in inclination to always focus on the negative. Um, We have that that, um, instinct that was built in for survival purposes. I mean, you know, we have to notice what the problems are so we can fix them, so we can continue to survive. But in the modern day world, the, the problems that are going to reach out and grab our attention are, um, you know, they're, they're not matters of life and death. They're going to be matters about like getting at that email in time or making that deadline or um, making sure the kids get to soccer practice in time or, um, you know, figuring out what you're going to like cook for dinner. So to kind of like step away from all that busyness and to, to carve out time just to think um, is, is um, can be a massive effort. And something that you have to go about deliberately. So I think in the beginning, um, it's a lot to just schedule in like uh, 30 minutes every day where you're just going to sit in a quiet room by yourself and you're going to think mm-hmm. maybe and um, writing in a journal I've found to be incredibly helpful. I don't even like to call it a journal because a journal makes it sound like it's, it's um, you know, this, this ongoing, ongoing organized activity. I would just, just do a lot of free writing on like spare sheets of paper or just, just do this brain dump and find out what was in my head. And so when you do that, um, when you, when you start to work on, on getting what's inside of your head, you know, outside when you're trying to manifest it in some physical form, that forces you to follow your thought process a lot more deeply than you do when you're just in your head. And it, it, you know, it it shows you things that you didn't think you knew and that can surprise you. And so that can reveal a lot about yourself to yourself. And then when you look at the parts of your life where you, um, where you feel good or, or, you know, where you're happy, where you're most fulfilled, when you look at, at what's really working, whether it's, it's, you know, your family life or the, the kids or this hobby that you're doing or, or this, this, this thing that, um, really fulfills you. Like if, if you, um, start dissecting that a little bit and figuring out what it is about that, that works for you, um, what activity or what talent in you that that seems to be tapping into, um, I discovered that I have a, um, I love what I, what I've termed emotional resonance. I love that sense of resonating with other people. Like when I write a blog post that, um, that, uh, uh I mean, I, I can almost like feel it hitting with other people because it, it seems to be written from what I call the sweet spot, mm-hmm. um, 
inside myself. And, and the sweet spot is kind of like this place where who I am kind of merges into uh, who my audience is. So I'm writing for both myself and, and other people. And that seems to be where I do my best work and I do my most relevant work. And it's just, it's the most satisfying feeling. So I thought, okay, well, I want more of that in my life. How do I get more of that? And so that was kind of a, a starting place for me. Hmm. You think that ability to create emotional resonance with an audience is something that is inherently built into certain creative people, or is it something that can be learned? And if so, how? <laughs> That's a good question. You know, I, we all have it. We, we all have it because uh, um, creative expression is about communication. It's about connection. That's how we, um, I mean, we need to connect with people and we need to create community. And we want to know and be known. And we can't be known by other people if, if we don't show them who we are. And so when we can um, make something out of nothing and we can put it into the world and we can do it in a way so that it has meaning for other people and not just for us, you know, when there's skill and there's craft involved, then we are showing the world who we are. And that enables other people to, you know, connect with us through the work. And when the work resonates with who they are because they bring their own meaning to it, then that's taken this, this private experience and it's, it's um, you know, blown it up into a much larger story and it's, it's woven it into a much larger story about who we are as, um, as a tribe, you know, as a culture, as, um, you know, um, even as an ongoing story of humanity itself. So it's a, it's a really, really powerful thing. And coming back to this idea that we all have it, um, you know, we're, we're, we're all creative. I think some of us just get, for whatever reason, some of us are more obsessed about it than others, maybe because um, our brains work a little bit differently. I mean, creativity is often linked, uh, sorry, um, high creativity is often linked with, um, you know, with depression, with mood disorders, um, with ADD, with uh, um, um, just a, a different way of processing experience. You know, stimuli kind of like bombards you. And instead of dealing with it, you know, one at a time, like, uh, uh, I don't know, I'll, I'll call them like neurotypical people, it kind of all sloshes around in your head, which allows you to make unique relationships um, or which allows you to make unique connections between things and, and see relationships between things. And that can create um, new insights and ideas. And so when these ideas work, you know, you're being very creative. And when they um, break down and they don't work, then you're, um, you know, you're in a psych ward somewhere. So that, that thin line between, you know, madness and creativity, it's definitely there. And I I definitely do believe that very creative people can be, um, maybe sometimes live a little bit closer to it than others. But, um, but we all have that need to, to reach out across this abyss, (laughs) you know, how it feels sometimes Uh and make contact with, with people who are, um, you know, living in the reality that is outside of the reality that we project onto reality. If you know what I mean, if I'm not getting too meta here. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like we all walk around in our own little worlds. And so, um, to, to kind of like reach through that world and and make contact with somebody else who's like living in their world. I mean, when you, when you think about it, it's, um, um, it's, it's actually, it's, it's not a small thing. And, and it's so rife with miscommunication and misperception and prejudice and bias and all of those things. And, um, you know, 
suppressed emotion and baggage from the past and that rises up to interfere with that connection. So it's, it's like, it's just something that we constantly, constantly have to work at. And um, that's, that's one thing that artists are really, really driven to do. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal. 
growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time. And now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Well, I, I think that makes a, a perfect setup to sort of shift gears and, and get into the, the meat of why I wanted to have this conversation today. Um, you mentioned that right when you met Elon, you could say you could see that he had big plans. Mm-hmm. And what I want to talk about is the psychology of a person like this and the evolution of a person like this um, from where he was when you met him to all the things we kind of know him for today. And what is it that is, what, what makes a person like that tick, I guess, is really the question. And how do they evolve mm. to the level that he has? I think, um, yeah, like that's, that's kind of the question, isn't it? It's, um, you know, he is, I have often described him as a, a black swan individual, sorry, yeah, um, like, because uh, uh, he's, he's, you don't often meet people like him. And um, he just, he comes at the world in a different way. And I'm not going to, like, psychoanalyze him or anything like that. Sure. I mean, you know, like, I'm, he is who he is. And, and uh, I want to celebrate that. But um, he just has a way of, of uh, he has a way of, of, taking this, this vision in his head and imposing it on the world around him until the world around him becomes like the world in his head. Like, uh, uh, and he doesn't seem able to live in any other kind of way. So there's a, there's a, a need and a drive in him that is, um, so compelling that it defines his life. And it, um, and it's so compelling that it draws other people into it too. So, and he's always been like that. So there's a, a you know, a personality at work there, a, a dynamism mm-hmm. that, um, I do not think that you can learn or acquire because I think it's either in you or it's not, but whatever it is in you, I mean, you can cultivate that to the most of your ability and you can do that through learning who you are and learning what your strengths are and learning what your weaknesses are and learning how to apply them to the world in a way that answers a need that the world has. And, uh, I think that, you know, Elon is, is very gifted in, uh, knowing how to do that. He's always had a very instinctive, um, drive for that and for how he wants to do that. And he always, you know, he always believed it was possible. He always had this tremendous sense of optimism that he could go forth into the world and he could, um, you know, he could, he could solve these, these huge, massive problems and, um, create something that was really interesting for himself and for a lot of people. And he never wavered in that, in that, um, that belief. So, uh, it was just a, an incredible level of conviction that you just do not come across in uh, many people. So, um, and then when I noticed that in him, I also started noticing that in, in other people, uh, who have become like, um, you know, major figures in the culture or, um, um, in the past, they have this, um, they have a, a, an extremely bold point of view. And what's more, they're, they're completely, um, driven by it and they're convinced of it. Like they, they don't 
doubted and they don't allow other people to, um, they don't allow the doubts that other people inevitably have to contaminate their own belief in it. So it's, um, um, and I, I think when you have that, then it, it has a way of clarifying um, your own life to you. So it, it kind of makes sense that you should do these things and you should not do these things. And it helps you figure out who you should listen to and who you should not listen to. And that can kind of become your, um, you know, your compass to use, uh, to use one of your words, Srini. Mm. So <clears throat> what's interesting to me is that you said this is something that you're either born with or you're not, which I, I happen to think there's, there's a, you know, a grain of truth to that. Like, but, I don't want to get all deterministic. Like I'm, I'm sure. not saying, but, uh, uh, but the thing is, I think, you know, I think most of us are all like, we're, we're all born with some degree of that. Uh-huh. So there, there's something there that is innate and it's not a question of, of, you know, reading books about how do I become like this so much right. as kind of going inward and figuring out how you already are like that. And, um, and, and learning how to develop that part of who you naturally are instead of trying to make yourself into somebody that you are not. So let's talk about that. And that's actually where I wanted to go with this. Um, so you kind of, you know, uh, read my mind. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I love this idea of such bold conviction, cultivating dyna- dyna- uh, dynamism, <laughs> or however you say it, um, and really sort of this part of us that is innately inside of us. I mean, how do we push it to the limits hmm. that we are capable of, even if we're not going to, you know, solve the kinds of problems that people like Elon, people like, you know, Richard Branson and people like Steve Jobs yeah. solve. And can you make that quantum leap if you are just somebody who, you know, in a moment might seem average? Well, or are I you just destined oh. for that? Well, I mean, nobody's really average in terms of, I mean, we all are, <laughs> I'm thinking about that line in uh, Fight Club. What mm-hmm. is it? It's like uh, you are not a freaking snowflake, or uh, <laughs> you know, you're not a unicorn. Um, well, you know, we 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 are snowflakes, and that we're all you know, we have all have that unique soul print, and we all have um, this unique, crazy mix of of talents and abilities. And and uh, I think um, one thing I noticed about people uh, like Richard Branson or um, um, you know, the Google guys or, or Elon or, um, let's get some women in here. Like, uh, yeah. uh you know, uh, Gloria Steinem, um, uh-huh. Coco Chanel, like, uh, all of those people is that they're, they're, they all reach this extreme level of success and they're all visionaries and they all have these really bold points of view, but they're not, um, cookie cutter in any way. Like uh-huh. it's, it's, uh, they, they all have such a unique path to success. And I really think that comes to that comes down to understanding who you are and what works for you and what doesn't work for you and learning how to steer yourself in the direction of your strengths. And so I think it's just instead of, of creating this five-year plan and then imposing it um, on yourself when you are still learning who you are in terms of whether or not you're actually going to fit into that plan, it's, it's, um, I think there has to be an element of, um, you know, experimentation mm-hmm. right from the beginning in small ways, little bets like yep. Peter Sims writes about. And, um, and then just leaning into what works and leaning into what works and leaning into again, what works and being open to what's going on around you, which is, you know, I think only more important, um, as, um, the rate of change speeds up and we head into an increasingly, uh, complex and interconnected world. And, um, and, you know, 
being really mindful of the system that you're in mm-hmm. and, and noticing how what you do resonates with other people or it doesn't resonate. And then just, you know, constantly course correcting and constantly adapting and, um, and, and really enjoying the process. And we live in a culture that puts so much emphasis on product and puts, um, you know, uh, so much emphasis on external rewards. And then all of these um, studies have come out studying what truly motivates us. And then it turns out that uh, when we are motivated by the end product, we actually do a lesser quality of work than when we're, you know, in love with the process. Mm-hmm. So, um, and one thing in my own life I've really had to, to work to get is a, a more um, moment-by-moment appreciation of what I'm actually doing in terms of, um, you know, enjoying this step and doing this step and then going on to the next step and enjoying that step and then doing the next step. Like just, just doing it like a bird-by-bird-by-bird a, a bird bird way as Anne Lamont writes about, um, you know, paying attention to each brick and where that brick is going and how that's, um, how that's affecting, you know, the larger picture of the wall itself. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> There's so much here. I mean, this is this is hands down been my favorite part of the conversation. You just dish one gold <laughs> nugget after another. Um, one thing that really struck me that you said about uh, these sort of visionary people is this idea of an unwavering commitment and conviction mm-hmm. uh, about the things that they believe. Mm-hmm. And I'm asking this for very selfish and personal reasons because I've had moments where I have doubted my own conviction and commitment to my yeah. own journey. And I'm wondering how I can cultivate an unwavering commitment, no matter what the external circumstances seem to indicate. Well, I think it probably, you know, comes down to um, what you, uh, how you're defining that, that internal vision. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, I think like doubt plays an incredibly important role in, um, you know, how we, how we discover truth and how we build on truth. And so I wouldn't want to say, that you should have this, this, um, like, you know, this, uh, uh, total sense of, of, um, invulnerability, mm-hmm. you know, this, this sense that, um, what I believe is like the ultimate authority on everything you should, you should, it's a, it's a dance. It's a dance between having the confidence in yourself to move forward and then a confidence in, um, um, your ability to, to learn new steps and to learn where the dance is going to take you. So, um, I, but I, and maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. The conviction comes down to something more, um, something more fundamental than just, you know, I want to go forth and I want to, um, build this kind of company or I want to write this kind of novel. It's, it's, uh, basically it's, it's having a, a faith in your own uniqueness as a person and your own drive to, um, manifest that uniqueness in the world in a way that serves both the world and yourself, like, uh, um, defining that, that sweet spot. Mm. So when you believe that that sweet spot exists, you know, when you have unwavering faith, that, that sweet spot is there, then you're never going to give up looking for it. But when you decide, well, it's, it's not there and this is the, the best I can do for myself. And this is the most that I, you know, will probably get in this life. And, and, um, so I should settle for this and be reasonable and be practical and, and um, you know, keep doing what I'm doing, even though what I'm doing is like killing me slowly. I, I think that's, um, that's an easier path to take for a lot of people. And I think that's the path that this culture hands us in a lot of ways, partly because when we are unhappy, we tend to, you know, buy a lot more crap that we don't need. So in a lot of ways, the culture kind of runs on that. 
So um, it's um, having having faith in um, your ability to create your own path without starving to death. Hmm. Do you think there's something that separates the people who um, find the sweet spot and choose it from the ones who ignore it willfully? <laughs> um, well, I think when you look at people like uh, Elon and Richard and others, and this was a point that um, comes up repeatedly when people talk about the piece or criticize the piece, it's, it's you know, these, these people tend to be from um, privileged circumstances. I mean, um, they tend to be uh, white, male, and Western, and generally from, um, you know, middle class, upper middle class, that kind of background. So they're, they're um, put in a system that works for them. Mm-hmm. And that, um, I mean, you know, that, that doesn't take away from the obsessive amount of work that they still do and the courage that, and, um, the courage that they have to take the risks that they do. And they do risk. I mean, a lot of these people are, are outsiders in a way. They just become outsiders of, um, a very privileged system that they grew up in. So they have all of those benefits of what they grew up with. And then they take that, um, out into the world and they, um, apply to more rebellious purposes. And so they're, they're able to like, like change the structure of the culture partly because they have such an intimate understanding of how that structure works. So, um, so there's that, <laughs> but, uh, I'm sorry, what was the question again? No, no, I, I mean, that, that, that answered, I mean, I, you know, do you think there's something that, um, separates the people who find the sweet spot and choose to, to follow oh. it versus, uh, those who willfully, you know, ignore it yeah. or do nothing about it. But then like, the thing is, is that my personal heroes tend to be people, um, I, I was just talking about this with somebody else, and the, the two people I, I mentioned, because I'm particularly fascinated with both of them, um, David Bowie and Susan Sontag. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Susan Sontag is like this, this um, um, uh, super cool, interesting, awesome um, intellectual, um, and, uh, but who completely invented herself. Like, uh, uh, she did not grow up in the kind of environment that you would expect to produce somebody who became one of the major intellectual icons of the 20th century. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, she did, she used the power of, of her fascinations and her imagination and also this, this sense that she, um, that the, the, the way that she was growing up and the world that she was growing into was not the world that she wanted to create for herself. And so she, she just kind of, of, um, went her own way and she managed to, change the world around her to fit the person that she knew inwardly to be. And then she had this incredible, um, well, what I think is a a fascinating, incredible life. Mm. And then, um, you know, David Boy, same thing, like working class background. So he was not supposed to be um, like a, uh, he was not supposed to dominate the world. You know, he he didn't have those things going for him, but he like uh, uh, forged the world according to, his vision of it. And when I say, you know, the world, I mean, the world that we live in, the world that we move through, um, we're all in a sense creating our own world. And, um, some people just go about it a lot more deliberately and skillfully than others. Hmm. So here's a question. You brought up adversity, um, in the beginning of this conversation. And Uh so I have two questions around this really. Um, One is what misperceptions do people have about extreme success? And Mm. I'd love to hear your thoughts on also the role that adversity plays in reaching extreme success. I'm glad you brought up adversity because, um, I mean, 
the thing about a Quora answer is that it's uh, not going to be particularly in depth. It's uh, so I, I kind of like glanced over some different points in that answer. And when I said adversity, I, I was referring more to a sense of, um, you know, being a square peg. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so these are people who they are odd ducks for the most part. Um, and they, um, they're unable to conform, I think in, in some way, not necessarily because they, they don't want to conform, although I think a lot of them just don't want to, but, um, they're, they're just, there's something in their personality that, that keeps them apart from, um, you know, from other people. And, and one thing that, that has struck me is that for all the ways we talk about, you know, think different and we celebrate the creative rebels and all of that. But when you're a kid and you're different, you know, you, you get hell for it. Like kids are not nice to, um, kids that don't fit in or, or that, that don't, um, uh, don't seem to have, uh, you know, the kind of interest in, in, um, uh, I don't want to use the word the herd, but you mm-hmm. kind of know what I mean. Who yeah. don't, who don't, you know, don't go along with the pack the way that other kids feel they should. And so, you know, these are the kids who are scapegoated and they're bullied. And um, because on some level, we distrust difference. We're not comfortable with it. So when you find yourself on the, on the other side of that, um, well, generally, um, you're alone a lot. So um, if you're a kid and you're different and you don't have a lot of friends, then you're going to be, you know, in your room a lot and you're kind of forced to fall back on your own interests and your own obsessions, which means you have the perfect opportunity to find out what they are and then to, to really dedicate yourself to them. So, I mean, you know, Bill Gates was hacking at 13. And so by the time um, he got to college, he was, he was already pretty fully formed as a, as a programmer. Like he had this perspective that um, a lot of people don't get until they're considerably older than that. And so when you get that kind of head start at a young age, that um, just only accumulates over time. So, um, I'm sorry, what was the question? Well, we were talking about adversity. Yeah. And adversity. misperceptions yeah. that we have of these people. Well, that's it. Getting back to adversity. Like, um, and so when I say adversity, I, I, I mean some kind of um, oddness in your personality that keeps you apart from other people. And then you kind of have to figure out a way to... Um, use that oddness to your advantage so that, um, and, or even finding a way to connect to other people through that oddness. So, you know, maybe you're not the most social person in the world and you're, you're not going to be really comfortable with relating to people on that emotional level, but you can create this software that, um, will, uh, enable them to, um, you know, deepen the emotional connections they have with, uh, family members who are living half a world away, mm. you know, so you, you can, find ways to add to other people's lives by taking advantage of um, your unique perspective and your unique talents. Wow. <clears throat> so what would you say are the misperceptions that we have uh, of this just based on you know, what the media shows us? One thing I noticed is that um, people don't quite seem to appreciate the amount of uh, labor that goes into these kinds of accomplishments. I mean, I, you know, we, we talk about work ethic, but it's, it's one thing to have this general sense of, oh, somebody like Elon must, must work hard, but then to, to you know, be up close to it and, and to see it is um, um, another thing entirely. And, and it's just, it, it's so 
beyond the pale that I think it's hard for most people to relate to. I mean, um, this, this kind of work ethic is, uh, um, I mean, it, it, it's, it really does define your life and it, it not only, um, requires sacrifices from, from you, but also from the people around you. And so I think that, um, you know, I don't think people have a visceral sense of um, how intense that kind of lifestyle is and how um, driven these people are and, and how hard they work and the level of stress that they deal with. Like just, just, just all of that, partly because it's, it's not really glamorous or sexy or fun to talk about. And we also have such a, uh, an emphasis on um, positivity in this mm-hmm. culture, on thinking positive and speaking positive that we kind of shy away from these, these darker topics. And I don't think that really helps anybody because I, I don't think, you know, I don't think you can, can prepare for difficult times ahead mm-hmm. if you are not willing to admit that there are going to be them, you know, if they're not going to exist in the first place. And also, too, it's, it's these um, darker times that um, teach you things that you really need to know in order to get to where you want to be. You know, I, I really appreciate that you brought that up because it's interesting. I have been seeing uh, a willingness from people at very high levels to start talking about this. There's a podcast called yeah. Reboot, um, which is oh, yeah. done by a venture capitalist named Jerry Colonna, uh, who's invested in all sorts of things and and really successful. I mean, he was partners with Fred Wilson. Uh, and it was really interesting for him to actually talk about a suicide attempt. I couldn't oh, wow. believe that he talked about that on a podcast. He, he told yeah. another founder that he had tried to kill himself. And I mean, even Brad Feld has written about this. So I think it's, mm-hmm. I think we're seeing a shift to a willingness to talk about it because I think yeah. our unwillingness to talk about it has actually cost us something very dear. In fact, in, in many cases, actual lives. Yeah. No, I, I absolutely agree with that. And I also think it's, it's part of this new culture of, of, you know, transparency and authenticity that the, you know, online culture demands. And because, because there's such a, an ongoing conversation now, it, 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 it's brought us to this point where images on their own, um, you know, we're, we're, we're not going to be as satisfied with them anymore. I mean, you, you can put forth the image of yourself as this, this, you know, invulnerable, perfect, heroic individual. We're not mm-hmm. buying that anymore. <laughs> And we're not going to trust that. So um, when people come forward and they, they talk about those times when, yeah, I mean, I was, uh, I'm like, yes, sure, I'm this strong individual and I can do these amazing things. But, you know, I've had like dark nights of the soul where I seriously considered killing myself. And, and that's just part of the journey, you know, like those, those are the nights of the soul that, I mean, you know, they, they serve a purpose. They kind of bring you face to face with um, um, what you're really dealing with. And they are, um, they're like the, the guardians of this doorway into another world and, um, or into another level of accomplishment. And so if you can, if you can like stand face to face with those, those, uh, demons and those guardians and figure out the, you know, the answers to the riddles that will, um, allow yourself to pass through into the next level, then, then great. That's what you're meant to be doing. And, um, if you don't know those answers, then it just means that you're at the wrong gate and you need to kind of shift course a bit. Hmm. So you have five kids. Do you see any of these tendencies in your kids? Yes, I do. (laughs) What are they like? I I mean, what are they like at a, what, what, what are early, early, you know, indications of, of this sort of extreme personality? 
Well, I don't know. I mean, you know, they're, they're still pretty young. I'm not going to say that they're, sure. and they, they have a unique challenge and having the kind of father that they do. And, yeah. and, uh, and also too, they're growing up in extremely different circumstances than, um, than, uh, I think either one of us could have imagined uh-huh. when, uh, when we were their age. So, um, but there's, uh, I, I see, um, I see obsessive focus. Uh, I see, um, I see in one child in particular, um, uh, uh, just a, an inability to be anything other than what he is. And when he feels that um, he can't uh, express something inside of himself or when he feels that he, he is being um, shepherded in a direction he does not want, like he, he will just uh, fight you on that. And he won't do it because he wants to hurt you. He's just doing it because something in him just seems to be trying to survive. So, um, he, um, and he's, he's a square peg. So, but he's this really, really great, uh, unique kid. Uh And, um, you know, but he's going to, if the structure doesn't fit him, he is going to burn it down and build his own because that is the only thing he knows how to do because that's the only way he's going to survive. So I kind of, you know, see that spirit in him. Wow. Yeah. He's, uh, (laughs) he's also very, very smart. So. Wow. This has been mind-blowingly cool. Probably one of those conversations that I will have to replay like a hundred times to get everything out of it. Um, So I have one last question for you. Okay. Uh, Especially given that you wrote the foreword to my book, and here we are almost a year, almost two years later. (laughs) I love Uh, writing that foreword, by the way. So I can't. Thank you you for giving me the opportunity for that. Oh, that that was amazing. Uh, It's better than the book. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) That is not true, but thank you. Uh, what do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? I want to, um, think about that question a moment because I love that question. You know, we talk a lot about soul and I think it's interesting to define what we mean by soul. And so I like this idea of soul as like the, uh, the essence of who you are, you know, this, this, this thing that makes you, you. And I think that comes down to some kind of, of, um, talent or ability that, that you have. And sometimes you have to, it's kind of like a Russian doll. I mean, it's, it's, um, um, like one of those nesting dolls where you think, oh, okay, my talent is writing, but it's actually not writing. It's something, it's something that gets expressed through writing, but it's something, um, that's inside writing. And so it's like, oh, okay, it's my, um, it's my ability to understand a good story. No, it's, it's inside that ability to tell a good story or to understand a good story. And it has more to do with, um, it's my, it's my need to find that place of resonance with, uh, you know, with other people, like, like something like that. So you have to kind of like, like keep driving, 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 driving down to find that, um, that core. And then when you find that core, you can, um, figure out how to manifest it in the world in a way that connects you to the world. And so when we talk about soul, I think really the soul is kind of that place where what you do is who you are. And so you could say that the whole quest of a lifetime is to both find and create your soul, which is to find and create your place in the world. So um, I think that is what makes you unmistakable. When you, when, you can, um, when you can identify your talent and then when you can cultivate it and when you can master the skill set that will allow you to put it out into the world and to serve other people, I mean, that is, that is such an incredibly powerful thing. And I... Um, you know, I'm just like moved by thinking about it and talking about it. Cause I think really that's, that's what we're all 
searching for and not just in our own lives, but we want to see it reflect in the lives of others. And when we do see it, we're incredibly inspired by it. Amazing. Uh, well, Justine, this has been mind-blowingly cool, and I am really, really glad we got a chance to chat. Uh, like I said, this is, to me, one of those conversations that will have to be replayed a hundred times to get everything that you packed into it. Uh, <laughs> thank you. I can't thank you enough for uh, you know coming and talking about this and, and sharing some of your insights and your story with our listeners. Oh, always. Thank you so much. Yeah, and for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person, because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners or odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. 
the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.